So for those of you who were with us last week at Easter, I challenged the Easter crowd to think very seriously and even deeply about what Easter is about, the resurrection of Jesus. Kenny pointed out last week that Easter isn't about the end, but that Easter is actually the beginning. Easter Sunday was the beginning of the week. Easter itself was the beginning of a whole new covenant. It was the beginning. And so we started something new last week. Hopefully some of you started a new relationship with Jesus last week. Some of you maybe came in questioning the whole Easter thing, and I told you that's okay. God's got big shoulders. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our questions. And I said that not only were we starting a new walk and and, and Jesus started a new covenant and all of these new things, but we were starting a new series out of that teaching we did last week, a series about real life, about living the kind of life that Jesus describes in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's a real life. That is a blessed life. That is a fulfilling kind of life that Jesus is talking about when he says that he came to give us life to the full. And so I asked everyone to consider why Jesus would have come to give us this life. Why would he have come? He didn't he didn't come to the earth for his own benefit. Jesus part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, part I mean he is fully God and fully man, came to the earth, put on flesh, he gave up his place in heaven to do that, and then he lived a sinless life as an example for us. He died a really horrible sacrificial death for us, and then he rose from the grave, he resurrected, and he didn't do any of those things for himself. He did them for you and for me and for all of mankind, for all of humanity. Jesus rose and lives not for his own benefit, but for your benefit and for mine. And so I said, hey, if you're struggling with that, then do this one thing. Make this one commitment this year. Start something new this way. Come for the next three weeks and check out the claims of Christ. Come for the next three weeks and check out this full life that Jesus says he came to give us. And so that's what we're doing today. We're continuing in this teaching series about real life, talking about the full life that Jesus comes to provide. And in preparation for this week's message, I did a couple of field trips, and I made a horrible mistake. I normally don't apologize for things up front and tell you my mistakes. I normally just kind of slide by and let you not know what I didn't do when I could have done something better. I'm going to out myself today. I went up, I went to a couple of different places this last, over the last couple of weeks to do some research and preparation for this message, and I should have taken a video camera with me, but I didn't. Here's what I did. I went up to the University of North Texas, and I talked to some students. Well, some of them weren't students. I talked to people from all walks of life, really. But I went up there to Denton. I spent some time at the University of North Texas. I actually went over to um, the square there, and I just talked to people, and I asked them, what do you think it means to live a full life? And then how do you live that full life? How do you live life to the full or live a fulfilling life? Oh my, 
I should have had a video camera, right? But I didn't just go to Denton. I didn't just go to the University of North Texas. You know where else I went? I went to Chick-fil-A, a known Christian hangout, right? Chicken for Jesus, right? Chick-fil-A. And I talked to some people at Chick-fil-A because I wanted to get, you know, not just what I thought might be a worldly perspective from a university, right, university town, but I wanted to go to this known Christian hangout and talk to some people who are in the church, some people who are Christians who have or should have this full life that Jesus promises. And I should have had a video camera because just like University of North Texas, some of the responses were just awesome. And we could have had a great time laughing and a great time going, yeah. And so I'm outing myself because I didn't take the video camera. But what I did was I gleaned a lot of information. I got a lot of answers, and when I got all of my answers and, and went home and sat down and prayed through it and really started studying and preparing, I found that I could categorize the answers that I got, no matter where I got them, no matter what group of people, no matter what age group, no matter what, I could categorize them into three kind of general categories. Here's these categories. Here's how people said they thought they could live a full or fulfilling life. The first category of people, or first category of answers, I call the carpe diem people, right? Carpe diem, seize the day. These are people who think they can live full life, real, fulfilling, exciting life through experiences. They want to have all kinds of experiences. They want to have as many experiences as they can in the time that they have on earth. They want to have as many varied and diverse experiences, or in some cases they just want to experience a narrow range of things, but they want to experience that narrow range very, very deeply, right? Experience, carpe diem, seize the day, make the most of my moment. The other, or the second, category is the I can live a full life, I can have fulfilling life if I'm just a good person. That was a pretty common answer. If I could just be a good person, then my life will be fulfilling and, and I will feel this, this full, rich experience of life. If I'm just a good person, that should be enough. And then the third category is religion. Religion. The religion answers were various. There was a couple of different kinds of religion answers. One of them was that you've got to find the right religion. And the other one was that you've got to find any religion and just do it right. Okay? So any religion will work. They'll all lead you to the top of the mountain, but you've got to do them right. And some of the people thought, no, you've got to find the right religion. And so these were the three categories of answers that I got from people. And the funny thing was... I asked some of these people, are you doing that? Very few of them, after answering me how they thought they could live a fulfilling life, actually said they were pursuing the path that they thought would lead them to fulfillment. Very few of them thought, were actually said, yes, I'm doing this. And most of them said they were frustrated in their efforts or attempts to do so. They had tried it before, and the reason they weren't still doing it is because they got frustrated, they got tired, they got worn out trying to find fulfillment in these things. It's interesting. And I can go through my own 
kind of uh, mental Rolodex of the people that I know. I can dial back in my own memory, in my own life, and think about times where I have been on any one of these three tracks. And I can tell you people, and I can tell you experiences and times in my own life where I was like the folks I was talking to who said they were tired, they were worn out, they were frustrated, they still felt empty even while they pursued these paths. These paths were unsuccessful in leading them to the rich, full, fulfilling life that we all desire. And so today I wanted to just kind of peel back a few layers if we can, and let's just see if we can discover through the Bible why none of these things bring that life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10, that full, fulfilling, rich, blessed life. So let's talk first about carpe diem. Let's, let's, let's peel back the layers of our carpe diem people, our seize the day people. Now remember, these are people who are seeking fulfillment through experiences. They want to have all kinds of life experiences, has as many life experiences as they can. They want to seek uh, um, fulfillment through the thrills of these experiences or through um, the pride of being able to say, well, I've been there and done that and had this experience where other people haven't. They, they're seeking these experiences, thinking these experiences are going to fulfill them. They think if they can get enough new or unique experiences, or if they can experience something deeply enough, then they're going to be fulfilled. And when you start down this path of fulfillment equals experiences, or experiences equal fulfillment, one of the first and easiest traps to fall into is the pursuit of the experience of love, or probably more rightfully, lust. Most of us could dial back to maybe middle school, first boyfriend, girlfriend, first crush. Some of y'all middle school, high school for some of you, elementary school for a few of you, right? Right? Whew, my daughter's on the back row. I'm, she's not raising her hand on any of these, right? Everybody's looking at her now. She's not the redhead that you all think is my daughter. That's funny. Um, yeah, so we, we fall into the trap of pursuing love. We call it that realistically. For a lot of people, it's, it's lust. But whatever it is, whether it's puppy love, that little teenage crush, that first boy, that first girl that you're after, that you're interested in, that you think is cute, or back in the day we said fine, Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, some of y'all are my age, you're laughing at that. Oh, she's fine. What does that mean? I don't even know. Now they say hot, I don't, whatever. We pursue love, we pursue lust, whether it's puppy love, whether it's that first crush, whatever it is. We think if we can just have that boyfriend or that girlfriend, if we can just enter into that relationship, we will find fulfillment. Our life will be bliss from now on. Sadly, most of us discovered in that first relationship, your life is not bliss when you get that boyfriend or girlfriend that you are interested in. Because inevitably, somewhere along the way, somewhere in middle school or high school, we all suffered the broken heart, right? I'm the only one. I'm sorry. Okay. Nobody else had that experience. All the girls broke up with me. I never broke up with any. I don't know why. I think I was in pursuit. I just figured as long as I had the girlfriend, I was good. But we all have the broken heart experience, don't we? 
especially, here's where I found it. Once I got to high school and I started setting my sights on not just that she was cute, but there was like some social status in dating that girl. She was a cheerleader or the head cheerleader or she was just the prettiest girl in school. And so you set your sights high because there's not only she's attractive, but there's like social benefits for you, right? Because it could be, I could, my cool factor could go up by 10 if she would just go out with me once, right? No, none of y'all? Just me. I'm the only nerd. Okay, so anyway, you have this, this thing going on and then you realize along the way, not only the broken heart, but also you date somebody for a little while, you get to know them, and you realize, man, they're just not that great. I mean, she might be the head cheerleader, but dude, I cannot carry on a conversation with her that goes past, you know, the news, the sports, and the weather. And I got, she got lost after the news and, and the weather, right? I mean, it was, some girls, y'all knew guys like this, right? If you weren't talking about not just sports, but his sport, right? And so you lose interest really quickly in some of these crushes and this early pursuit of love. You just lose interest. It fizzles out, gets stale, gets old, gets boring. And so you move on to a new relationship because that one didn't fulfill me, but this one will. And it becomes a serial thing. Not the breakfast cereal, you know, the S-E-R-I-A-L cereal like we do it over and over and over again. It becomes a serial thing, and it's not just a teenage thing. I've known a lot of adults who are still in that loop, that endless uh, cycle of pursuing fulfillment and full life through relationships, through dating. I've seen marriages destroyed by this. Some of you have too. Some of you may be the product of that. Some of you might be the cause of that. Ouch. Let me turn the dagger a little bit. I know that stings. But see, if you're honest with yourself, you can can tell me what a lot of people told me over the last couple of weeks when I talked to them about this, that that promise of fulfillment through the pursuit of love or lust, it's an empty promise. And that's why it becomes that serial thing. That's why it becomes cyclical. Right? Because you pursue this relationship and then that relationship. And listen, it's biblical. It it doesn't just make sense in the world. We see this in the Bible. In John chapter 4, Jesus met a woman and started to have a conversation with this woman. And he started to share with her the truth about who he is. Notice I didn't say was because what did we learn last week? Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. He wasn't. He is. So he starts sharing with this woman who he is, and and she's kind of baffled by him. And then he says, hey, go and get your husband. And she says, oh, I I don't have a husband. And Jesus really messes with her then. He goes, yeah, I know. I know. I know you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one that you're with now isn't really your husband. Right? And it shook her to her core. And by the way, because of that, she believed in Jesus and followed him. And a lot of people, because of her testimony, followed him, made faith decisions to follow. But we see this love and lust, this pursuit of fulfillment through relationships, going all the way back through the course of humanity. That, that in, in, in uh, uh, John chapter 4 is just a great example of how we've been doing this for a long, long time, and it still isn't fulfilling. Another easy one to slip into in, in this pursuit of experiences is intoxication. Love is kind of intoxicating, 
in and of itself. But then a lot of times we move into the pursuit of other. We think if we can experience these um, altered states of mind, because that's always the first little excuse we give when we enter into some kind of intoxication. I'm expanding my mind. I'm having new experiences. Yes, they might be outside of the lines, but I'm experiencing something amazing, something worthwhile. And you begin to pursue this intoxication, this intoxicated um, um, lifestyle, whether it's through alcohol, which is probably where most people start that pursuit, or whether it's through some kind of drugs, narcotics, whether they be prescription or what we call street drugs, illicit drugs, illegal drugs, whatever it is. When you're pursuing intoxication, the substance really isn't the issue because, frankly, most of the substances do deliver on the short term that really intense experience, that thrill, but it's only for a moment. It's for a very, very short time. And the problem is, most of these things mess with our minds, they mess with our emotions, they mess with our heart, our spiritual heart, in the Hebrew, our nephesh, that spiritual center of your being. They mess up your body chemistry, your brain chemistry, they change the way you think, they really, really mess you up. They create addiction, and you begin to pursue this object, this experience of of intoxication as your God. It becomes an idol in your life, and you are worshiping the drug or the alcohol, or you are worshiping the experience that it delivers. And the problem is, after about the second or the third or fourth time, the experience begins to diminish every time. It's not quite as good as it once was. It's kind of like that girlfriend or boyfriend that kind of started to wear on you after a while. And so now you have to take in more of this mind and heart and spirit-altering substance or pursue newer, greater highs, newer, greater thrills and drugs. And the problem is they're not greater, they're just new for you. And they wear out too. And you develop these addictions, you develop this hardened heart, you're not interested in other people, you're hardly even interested in yourself. You're interested in the next high. You are always chasing the high. Always chasing the high. Because the high is always just out of your grasp. You get it once or twice in the beginning, and then you never can quite achieve that again. It's an empty promise. It promises fulfillment, but it fails to deliver. Those two are just the low-hanging fruit of the pursuits. That's the easy stuff. There are lots of things that people pursue thinking they will deliver on the promise of full, fulfilling, rich, blessed life, real life. Some people are in pursuit of travel. They think if they can travel the world, go here and go there and have that experience and be in Europe and be in Asia and just see the seven continents and do all of these things, that that will fulfill them. Some pursue education. They want to get as many letters behind their name as they possibly can, right? If I can have this degree and that degree, if I can go to this college or that, if I can be a doctorate in this and a a doctorate in that and a master's in this, and and they want to just be really, really well educated, or they just want to go to seminary and just eat and devour the Bible, and, and they think that that's somehow going to deliver this, or they want to go on adventures, 
We're going to be mountain climbers. I want to climb K2. I want to climb all the 14ers in North America, all the 14,000-foot peaks, you know. I want to do this adventure or that adventure. I want to go to South America and and go down the, the Amazon River or whatever adventure is in your mind. I want to hunt. I want to fish. I want to do this or do that. I want to go 200 miles an hour on a NASCAR track and my life will be complete, right? Or I want to pursue money. If I can achieve this job, this position, this income level, if I had to pay that much in taxes, that would be awesome. And you think that's fulfillment. Something fell. It wasn't me. In case y'all didn't notice. But it's not fulfillment. Those all promise that life, but they fail to deliver. They are empty, empty promises. Nothing in that category of pursuits and experiences, delivers the full life. How about good person? How about if I just live a good life, if I'm just a good person? I can see what you're talking about, Todd. I can see how the pursuit of experiences, it it seems good, but it comes up empty. But if I can just be a good person, that's the path I'm on, and I think I can be fulfilled through it. Man, that sounds so contemporary and cool, doesn't it? If I could just be a good person. It sounds like Oprah or Dr. Phil or somebody like that said that. Just be a good person and everything will just work out for you. If, and and, and you, buy that, you buy that belief and you say, if I'm good enough, then I'm good. Right? If I'm good enough, my life will be good. It's karma. If I'm good to you, the world will be good to me. It's the force, right? I mean, whatever. Fill in the blank. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't work, though. You know why it doesn't work? Somebody define for me how good is good enough. This is the part where you answer back. Nobody? Bueller? One step above unachievable. You get an A, gold star for Dennis, right? It's one step above unachievable. We can't do it. Good enough. Good enough. Where is the bar? Where's the bar for you? Here's the thing. If you set the bar for yourself, you're going to set it where you can reach it, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I'm smart. I'm not that smart. But I'm smart enough to do that. If I can set my own bar for what's good enough, I'm going to set it where I can reach it. The problem is, (laughs) when I reached my bar, I wasn't good enough. I know me better than you do. And I promise you, pastor or not, I'm not good enough. I was never good enough. I'm not going to be good enough in the future. And I can assure you, I'm not good enough now. The balance sheet approach, if I can have more good entries than bad, then I'll be okay. The balance sheet approach doesn't work. Check out Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. This is a really great example of how this doesn't work. Matthew 19, 16 to 22. If you have your Bibles open, follow along. If not, we got the verses up on the side screen, so follow along with us there. A man came up to Jesus and he asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? In other words, 
how good is good enough? Where's the bar? What's the minimum requirement of me? Jesus answers him. Verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, talking about eternal life, talking about real life on this earth as well, he says, then keep the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The man says, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? See, he knows, he knows, he set the bar right here at at obeying these rules, these laws. He set the bar there, and he feels like he has kept them, and he knows that it's not enough. He's asking Jesus, what else is there? What else do I need to do? Jesus answers, if you want to be perfect, then go and sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, this isn't today a teaching about money and how big of a barrier it can be between you and God and your relationship with him. This is simply me illustrating for you, through Jesus' words, where the bar is. The bar is perfection. If you want to be perfect, you have to put aside all of your little g-gods, all of your idols, all of your flesh, all of the things of this world that detract you from God, that distract you from God, that come between you and Him relationally. And here's the reality. Every one of you knows the same thing that I know in your heart of hearts. And that is... I'm not equipped. I can't do that. I I can't just deny myself completely on my own. I can't put everything else aside. I know I can't be good enough. I'm going to screw up somewhere, somehow, somewhere along the way, at some time. I'm not going to measure up. It's good that you recognize this. It's really good that you recognize this. If you haven't recognized it yet, if you're not sure I'm right about this, if you're even wondering if this is biblical, let me point you to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says, Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's standard is perfection. If you live the rest of your life from today forward perfectly, you have still missed the mark because somewhere in your life you have sinned even one time. Jesus is perfect. He is the one. The rest of us cannot measure up. You are not the one, nor am I the one. Jesus is the one. So the good enough life isn't good enough. Where does that leave us? Religion. Y'all knew I was going to get to religion. It's the church after all. I've got to talk about religion. Guess what? 
Religion is not the way to a full life. Some of you are very surprised to hear that. Stay with me on this. Religion, just like living a good life, just like pursuing experiences, it's an empty promise. It will come up short on delivering the life that you want to lead, the full life that you are desiring. Religion will fall short. So let me define for you what religion is. A working definition for today's discussion of religion is this. It is the repetitious performance of certain um, rituals or observances. So, for instance, um, in the religion of Islam, they pray five times a day facing towards Mecca or at least towards their best guess in the direction of Mecca, right? That is a religious pursuit. It's something they do repetitiously. We could say they do it religiously, right? It's something they do all the time in pursuit of this full life. It's a religious act, right? Um, in the Old Testament, we see the, um, the Jews have festivals and feasts and sacrifices that they observe, and those things are religious acts. They're things that they do religiously, repetitiously, observing them at certain times of the year and in certain ways. There's kind of rules and regulations for how they go. Those are religious acts. Let's say um, maybe you grew up Catholic. Anybody grew up Catholic? You probably had rosary beads, right? right? Or you go to confession. You do some of these things religiously because that is a religious pursuit. It's something you do over and over again, following certain prescribed rules and regulations for how that works. So, Christians, what about Christians? Do we have, is, isn't Christian, Todd, you're a Christian, right? Aren't we talking about, is Christianity the religion of being a Christian? That's the, well, Christians have religious things that we do too. Some of us go to church religiously. We show up every Sunday morning, right? Every Sunday morning. Some of us show up every Sunday morning religiously. We do things like communion and baptism. Those are religious observances. They're things that we do following prescribed rules and regulations, right? Things that we do on a regular basis, even in Christianity. It's religion. And here's the thing. For those people who thought religion was the way to a full life, many of them I asked, well, are you experiencing that fullness of life that you're in pursuit of that you desire? Are you experiencing that through your religion? And to a person, they said no. To a person. Every single one who gave me the religion answer said no. In fact, most of them, as I talked to them a little bit longer, said they weren't even going to church anymore. They didn't feel it was relevant. They were not practicing their religion in any way. And their life was empty. Or really, they were probably more in pursuit of some of these other things at this point, right? So religion leaves people short. It leaves people wanting. Funny thing is, they weren't all Christians. I talked to people from other religions. So Christianity as a religion isn't the right pursuit. Is, is it Islam? Is it, is it Buddhism? Is it 
Is it maybe some kind of new age? I mean, let's do American Indian religion. Let's worship the flowers, the trees, the birds, the bees, the rocks. What is it? It's not religion at all. See, there is no right religion. There's no right religion. It's not about doing the right religion, nor is it about doing any religion right. Because I talked to people, like I said, from several different religions, and they all had kind of the same answer. I mean, some tried to put on a pretty good act for the first question or two, but those break down pretty quickly when you get talking a little further, a little deeper. People are hurting. People are living less than full lives, even in full pursuit of religion. Why is that? Didn't Jesus say he came to give us full life? Check out John chapter 14, verse 6. It's Jesus speaking again. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What Jesus is saying here, if I can translate for us 2,000 years later, is that religion is not the answer. A relationship with me, Jesus, not me, Todd, Jesus, that is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A relationship with him is how we find fulfillment. It's not in the pursuit of religion. And see, now I've got to confess one more time. I confessed earlier that I failed to take a video camera when I should have. And now I'm going to confess this. That was the fourth category. It was the least common answer out of my survey. I asked people, how do you have a full or fulfilling life? And a handful of my respondents said, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of the Bible Belt, Dallas-Fort Worth, the buckle on the Bible Belt, right? More Christians here, there's churches on every corner, all of this stuff. I wasn't surprised that that was the least common response. Because the Bible talks about the fact that many think they are on the right path. The Bible says that there's a wide road and a narrow path. The wide road leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to a full life. Now on earth and later in eternity in heaven. Many people who think they are on the narrow path are actually walking down the wide road. They're in pursuit of religion, or they're in pursuit of intoxication, or they're in pursuit of all of these experiences, and they think they're going to get to full life that way. And in fact, they're missing it entirely. The smallest group was this category four. You live a full life through a relationship with Jesus. These people understood Romans 3.23, that all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. They understood, John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through Him. They understood, John 10, 10, that Jesus came to give us life, real life, life to the full. And they are experiencing that fullness of life. Even in spite of the fact that they have ups and they have downs. They have good times and they have bad. They're experiencing the fullness of life because Christ is in them and they're letting Jesus live out through them. And they have peace in the great times and in the hard times. They have joy regardless of where they are along that path if they're letting Jesus live in and live out through them. They understand that it's not about religion. It's not about being good enough. It's not about having the right experiences or having the right highs or or whatever else. It's all about Jesus. It's about his sacrifice. It's about his victory. Because his victory is your victory. His resurrection is your resurrection. His new life is your new life. When you invite him in, and give him control. That's where real life comes from. If any of you today are still kind of struggling, kind of wrestling with the idea of this risen Jesus, this resurrected man, this God-man, if you're struggling with the idea of living real life through him by having him live in you and then live out through you, I'm putting up right now my contact information. I want you to call me, email me, touch base with me. You can text that phone number. That's my personal cell phone, 214-458-8512. You've got a pen and paper in front of you. Write that down. Write it down. If you want to email me, it's right there, Pastor Todd at elevationchurchtx.org. Contact me. I'm available. I will talk with you. I will meet with you. I'll answer your questions. We can have coffee. I might even buy you lunch if you catch me at the right time. I like lunch and dinner and breakfast and snacks. And I like people, so I like to hang out and talk. And I like to answer questions, and I like to point people towards the Lord. So if you're having these kinds of issues and questions, I won't put any pressure on you. I just want to meet you where you are. If you'll be honest with me, I'll turn around and be honest with you. Let's just, in fact, I'll be honest with you even if you lie to me. But let's just get that out on the table, okay? I want you to feel comfortable reaching out to me. And if you ask me a question I don't have the answer to, I will tell you, I don't know, but I know where to go find out. All right? And we can engage in a real discussion and a real debate if we need to, and we can get to some real answers so that you can have a real life with Jesus living in you and living out through you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to come into this school and to preach the good news of Jesus. I thank you that you have given us this good news, this gospel message of Jesus Fully God and fully man. Jesus, who lived a perfect life. Jesus, who died a sacrificial death. Jesus, who rose again from the grave with power over sin and death. Not for his own sake, not for his glory or his benefit, but for ours. Father, 
I pray that today lives are changed in his name. Real life, real lives are made right here in this room. The people who are living in pursuit of those false gods, those idols, that they would lay them down, that they would walk away and walk towards you. That they would get off the wide road and onto that narrow path and experience what you have for them. The kind of life that you created them to live. The kind of blessings that you have for them that they're missing out on. The kind of peace and fulfillment and joy they can have in good times and in bad through you. Father, I pray that you would embolden some folks this week to pick up the phone and give me a call or to open up their computers and shoot me an email so that we can connect and talk more about this real life that you have in store for every single one of us if we will only pursue you. We love you. We give you praise for who you are, for who you're making us through your son, Jesus. It's for his sake that we pray. Amen.